0: It's January 25th, 1723. Somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. On board a Portuguese trading vessel headed towards Brazil, the peace of the morning has just been shattered. A small fleet of sails is spotted on the horizon. Through a spyglass, one crew member gets a better look at their flags. The largest has a black background, and bears the symbol of a red skeleton against it. The cry goes up. Pirates! So far, the Nostra Señora de Victoria has encountered no other vessels along this shipping lane. The weather has been fair, and they've been making good progress. But now, the captain emerges from below deck to the sound of frantic alarm. He demands to be handed the telescope, and curses when he sees the pirates getting closer by the second. The wind is to their backs, and it seems unlikely that his ship will outpace them. In a grim voice, he orders his men to prepare for battle. However, as he heads back into his cabin, the captain knows that they stand no real chance against these marauders and that the cost of defeat could be horrifically high. In the past two years, stories about pirate crews have become more disturbing than ever. There are rumors of pirates torturing their victims for their own amusement and even of burning people to death. But he knows how sailors love to spin stories. Still, the Portuguese captain has a dilemma. He knows that if these pirates are going to overcome his ship anyway, he must surrender early. In this way, he hopes that his crew will be spared punishment. But he also has an obligation to his employers to protect their valuables. Employers he'll have to answer to should he get home again. It's an unenviable position. Inside a locked safe box is a sack full of gold coins. The captain pulls it out and then finds a long cord of rope to tie it to. He takes it over to the window of his cabin, opens it and ties the rope discreetly to the ship's exterior. In this way, he hopes the hidden coins can be retrieved once the pirates have left. As he is doing this, a panicky young crewman enters his cabin. He informs him that the pirate ships have already drawn up. They're about to attack. The boy sees the rope hanging from the window and understands what is happening. He tells the captain that he thinks that any pirate will easily find them there. Hearing the sounds of ferocious battle just outside his cabin door, the captain decides the boy is right the treasure will be discovered. Outraged, the captain makes a hasty decision. Perhaps these pirates will take his ship, he thinks. But why should they take the valuables he has sworn oath to protect? Grabbing his cutlass, the captain leans out of the window again. In a fit of spite, he cuts the rope, letting the bag of gold coins fall into the sea. Then he strides out of the cabin, followed by the young crewman, and joins his men in battle. But the captain of the Victoria is about to discover that this swarm of pirates are even worse than he could have imagined. Worse even than the scariest of stories. Their captain is Ned Lowe. Lowe has already garnered a reputation for inflicting extreme punishments on any captives who displease him. And when Ned learns what the captain of the Victoria has just done, he will be more than a little displeased. But his response will shock even the most ruthless and black-hearted of his crew. I'm Tom Morton, and welcome to Real Pirates. The show that dives deep into the true story behind the world's most notorious buccaneers. Join us as we set sail under the Black Flag, alongside such legendary figures as Blackbeard, Henry Morgan, Charles Vane, Anne Bonnie, and Mary Read. We'll reveal how these marauding mariners rose to dominate the Seven Seas, the terror tactics they employed to overpower their prey, and what life was really like aboard their ships. Their reputations have swollen to legendary proportions, making it hard to separate fact from fiction. Who were they? Terrorists or freedom fighters? Cold-blooded killers or heroic underdogs? As it turns out, the truth is far stranger than fiction. Captain Edward Lowe has been terrorizing the high seas for two years now. In that short time, he has been hunted across the North American coast for his heinous crimes, and he has become infamous for being a destructive and violent maniac. He has murdered, tortured and pillaged his way throughout the West Indies, and is now returning from the other side of the Atlantic, where he has been causing havoc around the Cape Verde Islands off Northwest Africa. But Ned Lowe's wild spirit is showing no sign of abating. If anything, he is about to get a lot worse. On board the Portuguese ship, the battle is almost over. Lowe's pirates have descended with such violent force that many of their victims have already laid down their weapons and surrendered. Those that keep fighting are brutally slain. The Portuguese captain orders a full surrender before anyone else is killed. By now, Ned Lowe has jumped onto the deck from his flagship The Fancy, immediately locking eyes with the Portuguese captain. He struts towards him through the chaos. Where are the valuables? Lowe demands. Pretending he cannot speak good English, the captain shakes his head. In response, Lo pulls his sword from out of his scabbard. He places the edge of the blade against the captain's lips. Perhaps this will translate, he says with a sneer. Through stumbling language, the captain invites the pirate to search his ship and take anything he likes. Now that the gold coins are sinking towards the bottom of the ocean, He knows that there is little of high value on board. Over the next hour, Lowe's men ransack the Victoria for plunder. Although she is carrying a lot of cargo, the ship does not yield the riches that Lowe had been hoping for. And then, Lowe discovers an empty safe box. Knowing that something priceless will have been kept in it, he demands to be told where it is. The Portuguese captain denies that anything was kept in that box during this voyage. Low does not believe him and assumes some treasure has been hidden. But rather than torture the captain for information, Lowe grabs a young member of his crew. By sheer chance, it is the same boy who saw the captain drop the bag of gold into the ocean. Lo's men force the boy onto his knees in front of the captain. Then, pulling out his arm, Low wields a cutlass. He promises he will sever each finger from the boy's hand until he finds the treasure. If the captain remains silent, Low claims he will proceed to chop every limb from the boy until the wood beneath them runs a deep crimson. Under such a terrifying threat. It is the boy who cracks. In a high-pitched voice, he tries to communicate something that he hopes will save his life. One of Lowe's men speaks Portuguese. And he translates that the Victoria's captain was keeping a heavy bag of gold coins in that safe. And that he has since thrown it into the water. Lowe explodes in fury, throwing the boy aside He instead orders his men to hold the captain down. With every sinew, the captain struggles to break free of the pirates, but he is helpless as he watches Lowe place down the cutlass with which he was going to mutilate the boy. Instead, Lowe reaches for a sharp dagger that has been hanging from his belt. Stepping closer, Lowe grabs the captain by the chin with his free hand and then in full view of everyone on board Ned Lowe takes the knife to the captain's lips ignoring the screams he cuts the lips from his face as coldly as if he were a butcher preparing a meal and in fact that is precisely what he's doing Lowe has his men light a fire on deck Then he broils the severed lips in front of the mutilated captain. The stench makes the shocked onlookers wince. Once they are roasted, he begins to force-feed the captain his own face. The cruelest pirates in his crew laugh and jeer as he does this. But many others look away in disgust and horror. Floating by the side of the Portuguese vessel, is Ned Lowe's flagship, the Fancy. Only a handful of men are still aboard, but even they can hear the appalling screams emanating from the Victoria. One such man is Philip Ashton. Until last year, Ashton was just an honest fisherman from Marblehead off the coast of New England. But now he is Ned Lowe's prisoner and lives in daily fear that his captor will inflict a monstrous cruelty on him also. Ashton listens to the distressing sounds coming from the Portuguese ship. He cannot imagine what inhuman act is causing such misery, but he knows that Ned Lowe is responsible. During his time as a prisoner, Ashton has witnessed Lowe carry out unspeakable evils on the many unfortunates who have found themselves at his mercy. The only reason that Ashton himself has avoided such treatment is that Lowe seems hell-bent on making him become a pirate instead. When Lowe first took Ashton and other fishermen prisoner at Port Roseway, he immediately tried to make them sign articles of agreement, documents that would bind them to Lowe's pirate crew forever. When Ashton refused to sign, Lowe faked his signature anyway and threw him in the hold only on special occasions are the prisoners allowed the freedom of the ship. Since then, Lowe has persisted in trying to corrupt Ashton and the others. He has tempted them with riches seized from trading vessels, got them drunk on plundered rum and assured them that with him as a friend they need never fear anyone else. Some of the fishermen have already been seduced by Lowe's extravagant offers to join the crew. He has proven to them many times that great rewards are available for men from humble backgrounds. They just have to summon the courage to take them. But Philip Ashton remains uncorrupted. A God-fearing man, he would rather endure diabolical suffering than sell his soul as a pirate. Unfortunately, with Ned Lowe, he may have to. Dr. Rebecca Simon is a historian and author of Pirate Queens, the lives of Anne Bonny and Mary Read.
1: There were other horrors on Ned Lowe's ship besides the one instance of cutting off the Portuguese captain's lips and forcing him to eat them. Any eyewitness, any prisoner such as Philip Ashton on Ned Lowe's ship would have seen people being severely beaten, being hung up in chains, being whipped, being flayed, having strips of their skin ripped off having their limbs, their fingertips, their toes, being burnt, burning off parts of their faces. There were victims who were said to have had their ears and noses cut off and broiled and force-fed to them. So the instance with the Portuguese captain having his lips force-fed to him, he was not the only one. But it was after this incident was published that people started reporting more and more about these atrocities that Lowe was committing. Maybe some were kind of overblown for kind of newspaper tabloids at the time, but he did have this reputation, he was known to beat people more severely than anyone else. Even reportedly after a ship completely surrendered to him, he stole all of their foodstuffs and left that crew to starve to death. They did not, they managed to make it back to shore, but they were able to kind of give, again, more evidence to this. So Lowe was absolutely merciless to everyone he came across.
0: Some of the pirates return to the fancy, carrying plunder from the Portuguese ship. Ashton listens with horror to the story of the captain's severed lips. He is told that the captain was killed soon afterwards, but the carnage is continuing. Even now Ashton can hear screams and gunshots from over on the Victoria. Lowe has ordered the execution of all 32 of the remaining crewmen. Ashton and the few other prisoners have been allowed on deck at the captain's orders. They are told that Ned wishes them to see the fire display as the Victoria is set ablaze. Plumes of smoke from the Victoria catch the wind, as does the acrid stench of burning flesh, as the vessel slowly sinks beneath the sea. Ashton looks across the deck for Ned Lowe, who must surely have returned to his ship by now. He can barely see anyone due to the heavy black smoke from the sinking vessel nearby. Then he sees his captor nearer to the bow of the ship. Lo seems perfectly calm in his mannerisms as he discusses some point of business with his quartermaster. He is wearing a scarlet red coat Ashton has never seen on him before. He assumes Lowe must have stolen it from the Portuguese ship. Then, as the fancy draws further away from the blazing Victoria, the smoke clears, allowing Ashton a better view. That is when he notices that Lowe's coat is not really red, but simply covered in someone else's blood. Ned Lowe turns his head in Ashton's direction. He grins at his prisoner in an amused way, as if to say, you're next.
1: After he cut off a Portuguese captain's lips and fed them to him, this caused an absolute outrage. Somehow word got out and this story was published in newspapers all throughout the Americas. And it was so intense that there were actually some newspapers who listed these depredations committed that were too horrifying to appear in print. And then the next week, the newspapers would have kind of a newer edition of that article, this time with the details, almost like they were leaving breadcrumbs for their readers to keep coming back because it was so horrifying this idea of forced cannibalism is what got the authorities to start putting their attention onto Lowe and go after him. Not because he was a pirate. In fact, he wasn't any better or any worse as a pirate than anyone else. So there was no reason for him to get singled out until this happened, until this report of Lowe forcing a Portuguese captain to eat his own lips. It was after this that the authorities made Lowe their priority because they were like, this is something too horrific to stand. This is someone we need to get rid of.
0: The shocking crime that Lowe committed on board the Portuguese ship was widely reported throughout New England and made headlines in both the colonies and in Britain. But while the authorities are mobilizing their forces against Ned Lowe, life on board his ship remains a daily terror. Philip Ashton knows that at any given moment, Lowe might explode into another spontaneous fury and order the torture of any man who displeases him. In the first few months of Ashton's captivity, the quartermaster would regularly thrash him with a flat-edged sword for refusing to sign the Articles of Agreement. For much of that time, he was chained up in the hold of the fancy as punishment for his disobedience. Recently, though, Ashton has been permitted out of the cramped hold more often. Now Lowe is allowing him to walk around on deck without any chains on. He wants Ashton to socialize more with the other men, in the hope that this might persuade him to willingly join their crew. But this newfound liberty does not protect him from Lowe's unpredictable temper. When he is in a foul mood, Lowe threatens to set Ashton alight if he doesn't agree to become a pirate. However, what really keeps Ashton on edge is the sudden personality changes that Lowe exhibits. Because there are contrasting days when Lowe's behavior towards him is perfectly civil even friendly. Ashton wakes up every morning not knowing which of the two Ned Lowe's he will meet today. On the good days, Lowe treats Ashton with such deference that it is as though he thinks he is an esteemed guest on his ship. He invites Ashton to dine with him at the captain's table and compliments him on being one of the few men on board who can carry an intelligent conversation. He proudly boasts that his late wife was also a religious person and that they attended church every day back when he lived in Boston. Ashton is interested to learn that Ned Lowe was once a married man and shocked to hear that he was once a regular churchgoer. Listening to the fearsome pirate speak so respectfully of the importance of family life is mystifying. He then remembers the day he was taken prisoner and how Lowe asked him an urgent question at gunpoint. Are you a married man? Curious to know more, Ashton dares to inquire why Lowe was so interested in his marital status. The answer surprises him. Eric J. Dolan is the author of Black Flag's Blue Waters, the epic history of America's most notorious pirates.
2: It turns out that Lowe, like many other pirate captains, didn't want to force men who were married because if you had attachments back home like that, it would make you less likely to be a compliant crew member and more likely to want to escape whenever you had the opportunity to get back to your family. But Ashton, who was forced on board, refused to sign the articles, found out there was even a deeper reason for this when it came to Lowe because clearly he felt guilty leaving elizabeth his daughter behind in boston and at times during the subsequent months ashton would observe lowe weeping openly and thinking about his lost family and perhaps regretting what he had done leaving his only daughter to fend for herself ashton must have been stunned at the sight of this terrifying figure
0: openly weeping in front of him He's almost moved to sympathy by how wildly emotional Lowe becomes whenever speaking of the daughter he abandoned, as well as the grief he has suffered from the death of his wife and son. Almost. It causes him to wonder about the state of Ned Lowe's mind, and if these tragedies are somehow at the root of his horrifying activities at sea. It is a subject that historians still speculate on to this day.
2: We didn't have psychiatrists or psychologists evaluating pirates. They didn't sit down on a couch and give up their secrets. But I think on the face of it, anybody that acted like Lowe did, I think is mentally deranged. I mean, anybody that is killing, wantonly killing people in such a vicious manner is not a normal human being. So it may not track with the formal medical definition we use today for psychologically deranged or mentally deranged in my book, just by his actions, he is clearly a bit of a lunatic and a horrific, evil person. Where it might have come from, perhaps it is as simple as coming from the fact that his son died in infancy and his wife died shortly after his only daughter was born and he just felt bereft, like the universe was not treating him properly. And uh, he decided to lash out in the best way that he knew how, perhaps by becoming a pirate.
1: It's interesting to speculate about Ned Lowe's mental state. A lot of historians generally agree that Ned Lowe was undoubtedly a psychopath, meaning that he would disregard or violate the rights of others. He perhaps maybe had the inability to distinguish between right and wrong, or he just didn't care. And we can believe that because he lacked showing any remorse. He didn't really show any empathy towards his victims and he enjoyed torturing people, which also perhaps means he might have been a sadist, someone who enjoys inflicting pain on others. And we see this because of the way he would be so merciless with the way he personally would torture victims, even after they had surrendered. So he was absolutely a terrifying figure. Of all pirates, whoever existed, he's the last one I would ever want to meet in my life. It is generally accepted by most historians that he definitely displayed signs of probably being a very brutal, murderous psychopath.
0: Despite the pirate's campaign to convince him to sign on, Ashton persists, though it may cost him his life. He's quoted as saying, Any death was preferable to being linked with such a vile crew of miscreants, to whom it was a sport to do mischief. Where prodigious drinking, monstrous cursing and swearing, hideous blasphemies, and open defiance of heaven and contempt of hell itself was the constant employment. If by some miracle he should survive his ordeal, his life may yet depend on his resolve not to sign the articles.
2: Ashton was repulsed by these pirates and their behavior, never to succumb to their entreaties to willingly be a partner in crime and thought they were the miscreants of the universe. He clearly did not relish the life of a pirate. And one of the things you have to remember is men who were forced to join a pirate vessel. In some instances, not all, but in some instances, when those pirates were captured and they were brought to trial, those men who were forced were able to prove through depositions and witness accounts and other information that they were forced and they didn't voluntarily join the pirate crew. And some of them, by virtue of that, were let free. Other men who were forced to join pirate crews Even if they told the court, I absolutely didn't join willingly. Some of them were treated just like the other pirates and were often sent to the gallows. In some cases, without really good evidence that they were voluntarily joining the pirate crew. In other instances, there were witness information that basically said, oh, that's a bunch of baloney. After you signed the Articles of Agreement, you were fighting just as willingly as the other pirates when we took over XYZ ship and you killed this person on board that ship. So don't give me this stuff that you weren't a willing pirate.
0: Ashton knows that if he remains on board the fancy much longer, one of two things will surely happen. Either he will betray every value he holds dear, become one of Ned Lowe's pirates, and condemn both his soul and any hope of returning to his family. Or he will be executed in a vicious display of savagery and perhaps suffer an even worse torment than the Portuguese captain endured his only real hope of survival is to somehow escape Ned Lowe's ship at the earliest opportunity. However, the odds that he will be able to do this are sky high. Since being captured in Nova Scotia last year, he has not set foot on land. But Ashton knows that given the smallest chance, he will make a run for
2: it. Finally on March, 9th 1723, Philip Ashton saw his opportunity. They were just off an island, uh, Roatan, an uninhabited island about 40 miles from the Honduran mainland. And by this point, Lowe had a little armada of ships. He had two or three vessels in addition to the fancy. And one of the ships sent a longboat to Roatan to collect water because that's one of the things, of course, when you're at sea, you need replenishments of water and food. So Ashton, who hadn't been on land since he was captured in Sherbourne in Nova Scotia, pleaded to go on to the island just to be able to walk on the land. He was getting tired of being on the vessel all the time. And they finally relented and said, "Okay, you can come. But this hadn't been really premeditated by Ashton. This opportunity just arose, so he didn't have time to fully prepare. So all he had was a pair of pants, a shirt, he had no shoes, he had no knife. He really wasn't prepared to do what he was hoping to do.
0: While Ned Lowe stays on the fancy, Ashton joins the men charged with filling up the water casks in the longboats. Their destination, Roatan, is a small island ringed by lush coral reefs. As Ashton approaches, he decides he would rather die here in this beautiful place than face another day at sea with Ned Lowe. The cooper who is leading the landing party immediately orders the men to begin filling their casks with the water. At first, Ashton applies himself to the labor with as much energy as the others. As he does so, He feels grateful that he was able to bring a strong-brimmed hat with him. The sun is beating down hard as they toil in the shallow water. But gradually, without the pirates noticing he is doing it, Ashton slowly ambles away. Under the pretense of keeping himself busy, he edges ahead, further down the beach. As soon as his bare feet leave the water and onto the sandy shore, Ashton makes a silent promise to God that he will never again return to that demonic fleet. A short distance from the sea is a thick wood of coconut trees. Ashton realizes that if he were to bolt into it, he might be able to hide from the pirates long enough for them to return to the boat without him. He knows that he must choose his moment carefully. If the pirates catch him, then he will probably be executed either by them now or by Ned Lowe when he has returned to the ship. And so for now, he bends down and pretends to be searching through the shells and stones he finds on the shore. That is when the Koopan notices how far he has strayed from the rest of the group. He calls out to him. Ashton shouts back that the beach is full of coconuts. He wants to fill his empty cask with them as a treat for everyone on the ship. The Cooper waves back that this is a good idea and allows him to carry on. Ashton watches as the Cooper returns to carrying his full cask of water back to the longboat. At that moment, Ashton realizes that all of the pirates on the beach currently have their backs to him. This is it, he thinks now or never. Without hesitation, he tosses his wooden cask aside and breaks for the trees. His heart is hammering as he enters the wood and runs through the thick cluster of trees and bushes. Branches snap against him as he races past them into the unknown. His feet fly across the spiky, stony ground as he sprints through the undergrowth, but he does not let the excruciating pain slow him down. He knows his survival depends on how much distance he can put between himself and the others before they realize he's gone. Unfortunately, even though he's been running for mere seconds, he hears the Cooper call out from the beach. The dog has gone into the woods! Ashton keeps running, but the landscape is wild and disorientating. It's hard to keep traveling in a straight line. Slowing down on account of the sharp pain in his feet, Ashton can already hear his armed pursuers searching for him. He's shocked by how close they sound, and fears that in his terrified, confused state, he has circled around and is now heading back towards them. He looks down at his bleeding feet, and then at the trail of blood on the foliage beneath him. He begins to despair that the pirates will be able to track him wherever he goes due to the red trail he is leaving. And so Ashton decides that he must hide and pray that his pursuers give up in their search. He knows that Ned Lowe does not want to remain in this location for long. They will return to the ship before nightfall with or without him. Then Ashton sees a thick bush in which he can curl up into a ball and hide. Like a woodland animal hiding from a predator, Ashton lies still on the ground and uses the bush's thick leaves to cover him. Barely drawing breath, he remains as still and as silent as possible. All he can do is wait and pray the pirates give up the search, which he does fervently. After what he thinks is several hours, Ashton hears one of the pirates shouting for him close by. You will perish in this place alone, Ashton, he shouts into the wood. This is your last chance to come with us. Holding his breath entirely, he dares not even blink for making a sound. Ashton remains where he is and listens as the man eventually lopes off back towards the beach. Night falls over Roatan Island, Ashton wakes after a short sleep to find ants and other unidentified insects crawling all over him. On impulse, he reacts and brushes them off. Only then does he realize that he may have given his location away to anyone still hunting him. But as he listens out for any pirates, he finds he can only hear the strange sounds of the island's nocturnal creatures. Before long, he staggers out of the woods and onto the moonlit beach. His feet are grateful to feel the soft sand underneath them, just as his starving belly is glad when he finds coconuts lying on the ground. Bathing his bloodied feet in the cool water, Ashton looks out to sea. He can see no sign of the small armada of pirate ships that brought him here. Exhaling with relief, he offers thanks to the heavens. He has broken free of Ned Lowe's madness at last. Ashton cracks a coconut open against the side of a rock and drinks its milk. Then he pulls open the coconut itself and hungrily eats but Ashton's happiness and having survived his ordeal as Lowe's prisoner does not last long. This island he's been left on appears to be entirely uninhabited, and he does not know how long he can survive on coconuts alone. He is marooned on a deserted island. Unless a friendly ship passes this way soon, Ashton fears that the pirates who called out to him in the woods will be proven right he will indeed perish in this place alone. Next week on Real Pirates. As Philip Ashton struggles to survive on Roatan Island, Ned Lowe continues to cause havoc upon the ocean waves. In response to numerous reports about his disturbing behavior at sea, the British Royal Navy dispatches several ships to hunt down the deadly pirate. When HMS Greyhound, captained by Peter Solgaard, catches up with Lowe's fleet off the coast of Delaware Bay, the stage is set for an epic battle. However, if Solgaard thinks that killing Ned Lowe will be as easy as finding him, he's got another thing coming. Find out next week on Real Pirates. Real Pirates is a Spotify original from Parkast. Produced in partnership with Noiser. Executive produced by Max Cutler, Drew Cole, and Pascal Hughes. Developed by Julian Boirot for Parkast. Produced by McAnister Beckson. Written by James Benmore. Sound supervisor Tom Pink. Edited by Carla Flores and Rob Plummer. Sound design by Matias Torres-Sole. Mixmaster by Cody Reynolds-Shaw. Music by Oliver Baines and Dory McCauley.